Well, good stuff. Well, let me just say this. God is so kind. He's so kind because he wrote a book. He wrote a book called The Word of God. We believe, according to the scriptures, that every single word that is in this book has been inspired by God. And every single week that we come together, we spend a few minutes and moments in this book studying God's word, not just for information, but for transformation. In fact, there are several people here, including myself, okay, whose lives have been changed by the very words that have come from this book, the word of God. If you don't believe me, how many of you would join me and say, James, I know my life has been changed by the word of God. There you go. So I'm not the only one that's here in the room. And so tonight, we're going to spend just a few moments here. Don't get nervous. Some of you came and you're like, oh my goodness, we got a brother up there, which means we're going to be here until next week. That ain't the case, okay? We're just going to spend just a few moments in God's word and allow him to speak to us. Speaking of God, God has a son whose name is Jesus. Say Jesus. And as you read through the Bible, you will discover that Jesus, he was the master storyteller. You ever met a person that's like really good at just telling stories? When they tell stories, you're just captivated, like you lean in, you want to hear every single word that they have to say. But Jesus, he was one of those guys. And Jesus tells a very familiar and very, very, very popular and powerful story about the prodigal son. Is there anybody in here that's ever heard of the story of the prodigal son in the room before? Yes. Even if you're like, man, I don't even go to church like that, but I heard about that prodigal, you know, somewhere Somewhere along the line, I know I've heard about the prodigal son. He tells a story about this son who one day told his dad that he thought, what, I'm not really happy around here. He was really dissatisfied with living where he was living at, and uh, he wanted to live life on his own terms. In fact, he actually went to his dad and said to his papa, I don't know if he said papa, but he said to his dad, Dad, give me my estate, which in Jesus' time, Really, what he was saying was, I want you to be dead. Give me my inheritance. You can die so that I can go out and live life on my own terms. So he takes the money. He leaves the house. He begins to live life on his own terms. Scripture actually says that uh, he, uh, he lived in such a way that it was wild living. It's like he went to Vegas and he just like, he partied it up. The brother had a whole lot of money, but eventually the money ran out and then the famine came into the land and all of his friends, they also eventually began to leave him. And so the job, the only job that he could get was to become a pig farmer. That's a pretty low job. He got so low and he got so hangry. You ever been hangry before? Well, this brother, he got so hangry that he actually wanted to eat the food that the pigs were eating. Now, that's a pretty low place to be at. When he got there, he, he thought to himself, you know what, man, my dad, he has servants that are back at home, and these guys have it way much better than I have it. I need to go back home. He came to him senses, his senses. This is where we pick up the story. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. In Luke chapter 15, come on, make some noise for the word of God here in the house tonight. <laughs> Luke chapter 15 and verse 18, you begin to see that uh, what, this, what this boy begins to do is he begins to rehearse what he's going to tell his dad once he gets home. He's going to tell him in how he's blown and how he's messed up and how he is sorry. Here's what it says in verse 18. He says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. 
and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we had been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast. For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And I love how the latter part of this uh, the story ends, it says this, so the party began. That must have been some kind of party. That's, that's, that, that is a party I wish I was kind of invited to. I mean, that had to be pretty incredible. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus, he came to show us, man, the heart of God. In fact, if I were to really entitle this message tonight, I would say that the heart of God. Jesus, he came to show us the heart of of God. His whole purpose was to reconnect us to God and to help us to see who God really, really is. By the way, it's really easy for us to get a cloudy or warped view of who, of who God is. In fact, maybe because of your own life experience, you may see God as an angry God or distant God, or a judgmental God. But Jesus, he came to give us a very clear picture of who God is is. As we read the scriptures today, you're going to get a really clear picture, especially here in Luke 15, of who God is. In this parable, the parable of the prodigal son, it's one of the three parables that Jesus taught all together in Luke chapter 15. You may say, Jay, what in the world is a parable? Because we don't really use that word today. The parable, very simply, is, okay, an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. The first parable in Luke chapter 15, you discover that, uh, that Jesus, is, he talks about a shepherd who has 100 sheep, and one of them goes his own way, he gets lost, and so the shepherd, he leaves the 99 to go and find the one. Now, I know when I read that, I'm like, for what? I mean, listen, that sheep, he was dumb. Like, he left, leave him alone. You have 99. And yet, while you're trying to process that story, Jesus, he continues on, and he tells another parable about a woman who had some coins. She had 10, to be exact. She lost one coin, and she went bunkers over that one coin. Man, she searched all throughout the house to find that coin, and eventually when she found that, that coin, she threw a party. She invited the whole town to come. Now, to me, that sounds pretty irrational, don't you think? I mean, the party had to cost way more than that lost coin would have been. And yet, Jesus is trying to show us something as, we, as he walks through one parable after another. He goes from the lost sheep to a lost coin. Then he drives it home by talking about a lost son. All the while helping us get the picture of the Heavenly Father. A Heavenly Father who would leave the 99 for the one, who would search tirelessly and endlessly for that one lost coin, and I believe who is the one that is waiting for the lost or son daughter 
to come home. It's very possible that that's even you that's here tonight. It's easy, by the way, to read this story and to think, man, this story is for somebody else. I haven't ruined my life. But the truth is that this story is for all of us. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, it's for you, 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 it's for you. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's for you, it's for you, it is for you, it is for you. This isn't a story that's just for somebody else. This is our story. This is Jay's story. This is your story. What Jesus is trying to simply communicate through this one story is Jesus, I think he's basically trying to say this, the door is wide open for sinners to come home. The door is wide open for sinners to come home. Now listen, you may bristle when you hear the word sin or sinner. It may make you a little frustrated when you hear the word sin or sinner, but here's the beautiful thing. When we talk about sin, it gives us an opportunity to talk about a great Savior whose name is Jesus. Sin, by the way, you may think to yourself, man, how in the world would you even define sin? Well, I'm glad you asked. If I had to define sin tonight, I would define it very simply this way. It's when we take flight from God in our attitude, actions, or thoughts. When any of our attitudes, actions, or thoughts goes against God. By the way, God, according to Scripture, he is holy. He is perfect. Anybody perfect in the room? I know I am not. I am a scrub. And so are the rest of you. That means, man, listen, we came into this world. We came into this world broken because of sin. We are all sinners. In fact, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 says, all of us like sheep. Here is the sheep again. All of us. Are like sheep that have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. We'll come back to that in just a few moments. And now I want us to look at this parable really quickly in light of a couple of things. First of all, I want us to look at the steps that the son in the story took, the prodigal son. The choices that he made that got him to a pretty disastrous place. And then what I want us to do is, is I want us to then look at, man, the, the attitude, the heart of the Father, who really represents God here in this story. And then finally, what I want us to do then is to man, process what is man, God's response to you and I today. So here's the first thing that we see as we begin to I mean, walk through the story. And it'll be here on the screen. The first step that we see of the, the prodigal son is dissatisfaction. He was at home. This brother, he had everything he could have ever wanted. He had a good dad. His dad took care of him. He had a great, great future ahead of him, but he was dissatisfied. It's very possible that he was dissatisfied because as travelers were coming and going from a distant land, maybe they came back and said, man, Y'all are missing out here. You will never believe, man, what I experienced when I went to that distant land. It was pretty incredible. The women, woo, good looking. The food, delicious. The entertainment, exciting. He became dissatisfied. He's very, very dissatisfied with where he was at, with his own life. Not because he didn't have what he needed, but very possibly because he was listening to what others had to say. And by the way, 
you and I ought to always be careful who we listen to. And as the story continues on, the next thing you see, secondly, that thing that begins to set in is dissatisfaction. He has this desire within him. And this desire is for him, man, to go and enjoy life in this distant land to do what he wants to do on his own terms. So he could tire of where he was living at. He had a deep desire within him to go to this distant land. Those desires were the craving of the flesh. The truth is, is that we have some cravings of our flesh that we want to satisfy every once in a while as well. He wasn't by himself. The next thing you begin to see in this story is, is that there's some deception that begins to really set in on the prodigal son's life. In his thinking, he begins to think to himself, man, I, I don't want to live here anymore. I'm missing out on something in life. The grass is greener on the other side. Have you ever felt that way before? You looked at your life and been like, man, I'm just dissatisfied. If I can just go to that place or be with that person or potentially even, man, be in a relationship with that person, I'll be good. But he was deceived. He was very deceived. So he had to make some big decisions. He made a decision to leave his home. He made a decision to leave his family. He made a decision to enjoy life on his terms, to satisfy the desires of his flesh. Let me just tell you this. Whether you recognize it or not, it is always a dangerous thing when you try to live life on your own terms. Anybody a witness in the house today? It is always, man, going to end up catastrophic for you and I. Okay, if we want to live our life fulfilling the desires of this flesh of ours. So it begins to happen. He, he departs. He leaves his home. He packs up his stuff. He goes to Vegas. Not really, but he goes. He goes to this distant land. He left against his father's will, but he left. And then there's the light that begins to set in. That is because everything was new. Speaking of that, where are all my freshmen at? How many of this is your very first year on campus here at USF? Give it up for these people. So kind of like for some of you, everything is new. Everything was new for this brother. And he had a delight in it. He had plenty of money. He dressed well. He had the best transportation. I'm not sure what they drove back then. Probably didn't have Ubers, okay? And maybe it was a donkey. I have no idea, all right? But whatever it was, whatever the best form of transportation was back then, this brother had it. He had everything he wanted. His dreams, all of them were coming true. Yo, he was tired of living in a little old town. He was experiencing the big city life, and instead of asking why he was in the big city life, is this wise or is this unwise? No, no, no. He wanted everything the city had to offer him. Like every person who tastes sin, whether you recognize it or not, after the money begins to run out, after the entertainment begins to fade, after his clothes got worn and his friends left, he became very disillusioned. It's pretty interesting. Listen carefully. Sin over time, if you keep hanging out with it, it will leave you disillusioned. It will take you further than you want to go. 
make you stay way longer than you want to stay, and make you pay way more than you want to pay. This is what sin does. Now, you may think it's going to satisfy you, but it cannot. Sin will only satisfy for a season, but eventually sin will leave you broke, busted, and disgusted. You say, Jay, is it because somebody told you that? I know it for myself. So what happens next to the prodigal, he begins to feel hopeless. He knew when he left home that everything was going to be awesome, that his dreams were going to come true. But sin always overpromises and underdelivers. And this is what the prodigal, he realizes. Now listen, I would never question, by the way, the fact that sin does have some pleasure in it. If it didn't, we wouldn't do it. But listen to me very carefully. At beneath, the, beneath all of the pleasure of sin, there is always a penalty. And so he begins to feel hopeless. Scripture makes it very clear that the penalty for sin is always the same. It is death. Scripture says, but the wages of sin is death. Now you say, I feel pretty depressed. Hang on. It gets hopeful in a minute. But this is what scripture says. The wages of sin is death. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be physical death. Yes, the wages of sin is death, but it could be the death to happiness in your life or death to peace or death to security or death to relationships. Sin always, though, has a final chapter, and that chapter is physical death and eternal separation from God. You say, Jay. I don't really like that. I don't either. But if I'm going to communicate what the word of God has to say, it's clear. This is what the Bible says. And I'm just a mailman. Don't be mad at me. Be mad at God. Here's the next thing that we begin to see that happens to the prodigal son. It leads him to a point of despair. Say despair. Finally, he had to give up. This brother, he ends up in a hog Pen. Anybody ever been in a hog pen before? Only if you've been on the farm or what have you? Yeah. Now, y'all might have loved it. You know, I don't know knowing you guys over here. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just messing around. <laughs> but I know for sure you wouldn't want to live there. You wouldn't want to make your, your home there. This brother, he didn't either. The truth is, the truth that we see in this passage is the same thing that's true for us today. Start off with the desire to please self. And it seems to be going pretty good for you. But one of these days, one of these decisions are going to trip you up. The prodigal finds himself now with everything gone. He lost it all. Now he's feeding pigs just to exist. That's a low place to be at. Wouldn't you agree? Pretty low place. But then by the grace of God, he comes to his senses. He begins to think about what he used to have at home. And then he begins to head home. And I love how the story begins to shift. Because if that felt pretty hopeless, the story does get better. The story really is not just about this, uh, this son. It's really about a good and gracious and kind father. And as the story begins to shift, you begin to see the steps that the father took. First of all, beginning off with a, a wounded heart. It'll be on the screen there. 
a wounded heart. When the son told his father, Daddy, I don't like living here. I wish you were dead. Give me my money so I can get up out of here. Give me my inheritance. Being a dad myself, that would wound my heart. It's interesting. Scripture says that this dad had two sons. I have two sons. Scripture also says that this was the younger son. And we have twins in our family, but the younger son that we have, his name is Jude. And I was just trying to imagine Jude coming to me someday and saying, Dad, I'm tired of all the restrictions that you have on me. I don't really like you that much. I wish you were dead. Give me my money. That would wound my heart. You have to be a dad to understand that. And certainly, certainly this dad's heart had to be wounded. And in the process, I'm sure he wondered. He wondered about his son while he was gone away in this distant land. How many of you, even while you've been here, you've had parent, your parent texting you pretty much every single day, checking in on you? Come on, raise your hand. You're just like, I'm okay. I'm good, all right? I'm fine. That's a good parent, though. They're wondering about you. What kind of friends you're making? What kind of places you're hanging out at when you're not on the school campus? They're wondering about you. What you're doing with your money, or let's be honest, their money? (laughs) As he was wondering, he was also waiting. In the midst of all of that, he is waiting for him patiently. He waited for his son who deliberately and willfully walked away from home. This son who wanted to live life on his own terms, his own basis. The father is patiently waiting for his son. By the way, Jesus, he is describing God's attitude and heart towards us today. God waits patiently for you when we run away from him. Somebody say amen in the house. I'm so grateful that he's a patient father. That he waits for us when we run away from him. And while he was waiting for him, he was also watching for him. Every single day, and he would come out on his porch and he would look down that long, dirty road and he would see travelers coming and going and waiting for his son. Days would go by and months would go by and years would go by and he was hoping his son would come, but he never came. But he kept watching for him. Thinking to himself that maybe today, maybe today would be the day that my son, he, he would come to his senses and that he would come home. He wanted his son to come home to return very soon. He couldn't come soon enough to this dad. It didn't matter what shape he was in physically, emotionally, spiritually. It didn't matter what decisions he had made in his life, what ruin he had made in his life. He wanted his son to come back and to come back home soon. Listen carefully. I don't know who you are, how you've been living, where you are going in your life. Maybe you have walked away from God. Maybe even in your own heart and life, you you have nothing you said. You don't want anything to do with God at all. God still waits for you. He's still watching for you. He's still waiting 
for you. Sin, I don't want to cut you the corners and I say it with as much love and as grace as I possibly can, but sin will ultimately destroy you. Sin will, is ultimately is going to deprive you. It may be later in life. It may be soon in life. But God patiently waits for you. And I love how the story ends. He welcomes his son home. Don't you love it? Can you imagine that day? He's been waiting for his son for a very long time, Sean, pretty crazy. And this particular day, the father, he goes out and he's standing on his porch. I'm just using my imagination. He's looking down that long, dirty road once again, and he sees travelers coming and going. And all of a sudden, off at a, di- at a distance, he sees this young man that begins to come. His walk, it seems kind of familiar. Oh, but he looks kind of bruised and tattered and dirty. As he comes a little bit closer, the dad begins to look, and he recognizes, that is my son. He doesn't even wait for his son to get to him. He runs to his son. And scripture says he embraces him and he hugs him and he kisses him. And in the original language, you know what it says? You know what it means is he was hugging him and he was hugging him and he was hugging him and he was kissing him and he was kissing him and he was kissing him. He was so excited to see his son. What a moment that would have been. And as his son is trying to, man, confess and apologize and say, man, I've sinned against heaven, daddy, and I've sinned against you. Listen, the father, he doesn't even listen to all of that. He says, quick, we need to throw a party. It's about to go down. My son is back home. We're going to celebrate. Get ready right now, no matter what, he says to his servants. They begin to get the best food and prepare, man, the place for this incredible party. By the way, this is how God feels when we return to him. This is how God feels when we turn to him. You may be one of those person, men, who feels like, man, I am broke, busted, and disgusted today. You don't know the places that I've been or the things I've thought about or the, man, the actions I've done. God knows, and he still loves you. When you turn to him, oh, he'll, he'll run to you. The Bible is very clear. It says that the wages of sin is death, but you don't have to die that way. The world, there is a world of people who are living in sin because they have chosen to deliberately disobey God. God, he forgives. How many of you know that are here tonight that God forgives because you've experienced his own forgiveness in your own life? Look at all these hands all over the room. I would be the first one to say that. God forgives no matter what. He forgives. And the heart of God is tender. He rejoices when sinners comes home. So what happens next? He forgives his son. And he restores him to the household. He gives him a robe. It's a great picture of how when we come to Christ, he gets his brand new clothes. He gives him a ring. This wasn't some like ring from the bubblegum machine. No, 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 no. 
This was a signet ring. Pretty incredible. And so as this son went out and about as he was shopping, he would say, hey, charge this to my daddy's account. It is a picture of us, for those of us who are Christ followers, who accepted him as a personal savior, that our sin, we get to roll over onto Christ's account when he went to the cross and died for our sin debt in full. Aren't you grateful? And finally, he says, give my boy some sandals. Because slaves back in this day, they didn't wear shoes. But if they had on shoes, they had on sandals, you knew that they were his son. And this was his son. He was not a slave. So finally, here is God's response to us today. The first thing is, he offers forgiveness. It doesn't matter what you have done. You can't name anything that God won't forgive you for. It doesn't matter what you've done. God forgives. Now listen to me. That doesn't mean there aren't consequences for sin. But he does forgive. Here's the next thing. Scripture is very clear. It says, if we confess our sins, that is, if we agree with God, that we've lived in sin and disobeyed him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a promise of God. He forgives and he also accepts. Acceptance. He not only forgives our sins, he accepts us just the way that we are. You don't have to straighten up your life for him to accept you. You just come to him just the way that you are. Look at the prodigal son. Listen, do you think he was pretty messed up? I think he was. Hanging out with pigs, he probably smelled bad and looked bad. Yet his father embraced him, hugged him and hugged him and hugged him and kissed him and kissed him and kissed him. Our father is the same way with us. He accepts us just the way that we are. And he also wants to bring about restoration in our life. Because when we live in a life of sin, there are some things in our life, man, that get unwired. And there's a need for restoration that only God could bring about. And finally, here is the last thing. He brings about rejoicing in your life. When you and I turn to him, when a person comes to Christ, all four of these simple words describe what happens in a person's life. Forgiveness, acceptance, restoration, and rejoicing. That was a big celebration. We saw it right here even in scripture where it said, he says, man, let the party begin. A massive celebration when this son came home. Not because he deserved it, but because this father was so good and so kind and so loving that he was willing to extend that to his son, which is the heart of God for you and I. So as we end tonight, I want to ask you just a few questions. Some very pointed questions, and I want you to be honest with yourself. I want you to be honest with God. First of all, how's your soul tonight? Like, are you happy with who you are becoming? Or if you were honest tonight, would you say, Jay, if I'm honest, if there was a way for me to be able to have a new beginning in my heart and life, I would love that. Here's the next question I would have for you tonight, and that is this. Are you saved? I'm not saying, okay, 
Did you grow up around the church? Because grass grows up around the church. I'm not asking you, okay, listen, uh, is your mom or is your dad saved? That's cool for them. I'm asking you personally, are you saved? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Has there been a time in your life when you can think, you know what? It was at this time on this day that I gave my life to Jesus. Maybe you would say no, but I, I want to. Well, that could be today. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I would beg of you, do it right now. There is no assurance that you're going to be here tomorrow for me either. But the peace that I have is that I have a personal relationship with Jesus. And anyone who surrenders their life over to him, the Bible says he makes you a brand new creation from the inside out. Doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to be perfect. No, 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 no. But you have someone that will be there for you. And someday, when you die, and we all will die, you will be able to spend all of eternity with Jesus. You say, that seems pretty difficult. I mean, how can that be? Well, the truth is, Jesus, he actually did the hard part. 2,000 years ago, according to Scripture, Jesus, he came to this earth. He went to a cross that was meant for sinners, yet he had no sin in him. A crown of thorns were placed on his head. Nails were placed in his hands and in his feet. He bled many streams of blood for you and for me. Jesus knew that either you could pay for your sin or he would pay for your sin. Oh, and he paid for it. He died. He was placed in a tomb. And I know it's crazy, but it is true. Three days later, he resurrected from the grave. It's pretty crazy. There are actually folks who've, they've been to that grave. Ain't nothing there. He is alive. And because he is alive, he also offers that resurrection power to you if you would turn to him.